Our text this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 18. And as Adam covered a couple of weeks ago, we have verses 1 through 17, which is this wonderful genealogy of Abraham having Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob, he had Judah and his brothers. And with Judah and Tamar came Perez and Zerah. Hezron and Ram and Abinadab. And you see that this wonderful plan of God has been beholding this coming Lamb who was to come. When God calls this Abraham out of the land of earth, that's when it begins to unfold. Back in Genesis. Genesis 12. And it goes on and it goes on and we see God's providential plan beginning to unfold, and then you come to Christ. And then you come to Christ. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 down through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, week after week after week, we we have nothing but you and your word, God. So here we are again. Would You reveal Yourself to us in a marvelous and mighty way, God? We, we have nothing but You, so we come to You. Throughout the ages, they had nothing but You, the coming Messiah. And now we have the Messiah who has come, but God, we await You to come once again. So God, would You reveal Yourself to us in a marvelous way that we would behold you and your beauty. Amen. So here's a brief outline of where we're going to be going. We have our main idea. This nugget that just get this, if nothing else, get this. Christ has come to redeem his people. Christ has come to redeem his people. He has sought his bride and he will stop at nothing until he has his bride. Main idea, Christ has come to redeem His people. Verses 18-19, through you see the shame 
that surrounds Christ coming to redeem His people. You see the nature of Christ as He comes to redeem His people. So that's verses 18 and 19. Verses 20-21, through 21, we're going to be seeing the reason for His coming. The reason for Christ coming to redeem His people. And then finally, verses 22-25, through 25, we're going to be looking at this prophecy from Isaiah. So you have the prophecy of Christ coming to redeem His people. So you have the shame and the beauty of Christ coming. You have the reason for Him coming. And then finally, we're going to look at the prophecy of His coming. So number one, the shame and the beauty of Christ coming. Let's go back to the text, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now can you imagine the shame that Mary had to endure? The shame that Mary had to endure. In Luke's account of this of, of the birth of Christ, we see that, that God has found or Mary has found favor with God. So Gabriel, the angel, goes to her and says, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And two verses later, he says, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. So she's found favor with God, but before men, she's scorned. So you have Mary growing up in this conservative Jewish community of Nazareth. And she's only, she's only betrothed. She's not married. She's only betrothed. Yet, she's found to be pregnant. She's, she's only betrothed, but legally and culturally, that's as if she's married. And so read Leviticus 20. What's, what's the punishment for adultery? It's death. And there's no way can she can how is she, how is she going to explain it away? So her, the rabbis, her neighbors, the children that she grew up with, are they going to believe her? No, no, still a virgin. Oh, really? Okay. Well, no, 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 really. It's from the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm pregnant. No one's going to believe her, right? So you have a righteous woman who's enduring cultural shame for the sake of Christ. This is no different. This is the, the story of God's people from, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You have Moses who grows up in the court of Pharaoh. He's pulled up out of the water. Grows up in the court of Pharaoh. But, as we see in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. So you see that with Moses, you see that with the prophets as well. Look at the prophet Jeremiah. He was, chapter 20, you have him, he was beaten by men. The men who were in charge of the temple, Jeremiah brings forth the word of the Lord, they beat him, and they throw him in the stocks overnight. The men, they should be rejoicing at the word of the Lord, but no, in the hardness of hearts, they beat him. Chapter 37, as if that wasn't enough, they throw him into a dungeon. Next chapter, he gets, he gets out. The men of God, once again, the men of God. 
They throw him into a cistern. They, they leave him to die. But it wasn't. It was an Ethiopian who came and pulled him out. Not even one of God's people. No, it was an Ethiopian, a Cushite, who came and pulled him out. So you see that was with Moses, the prophets of God, and you see that with the apostles as well. Where did Paul go? He wasn't despised, or he wasn't mocked. He wasn't beaten, or stoned, or left dead. But this narrative should not surprise us because Jesus Christ, our Savior, He is the one who has endured the greatest shame. Dying. Dying. The Creator of the world dying upon the cross. So you have Christ who's left the throne room of God and he, he doesn't go to Rome. He doesn't go to any place like that. No, he goes to some arid backwoods place of the Roman Empire. And he grows up in Nazareth. Remember? This place, this small town, small community where his mom is the one who got pregnant before she was married. Jesus grows up in that shame. Jesus we. We know how old you are, and we know how long your mom and dad have been married. And one is greater than the other, and it should be the other way around. So he grows up in that shame as well. And his ministry is filled with betrayal and desertion. It wasn't just Judas. It was all of the disciples left him while he was praying and crying out to God. And he was mocked by soldiers who crucified him and the crowds that walked by. Even the thieves that were being crucified beside him were mocking him. So, you, who call yourself a Christian, is your profession so strong, is our profession so strong, that we are enduring the shame of Christ? Have you been humiliated or humbled for the sake of Christ? As a church, is our gospel so, is our gospel presentation so clear as we're gathered or as we're scattered throughout the week? Is our gospel presentation so clear that we end up joyfully bearing the shame of Christ? You see it with, with Moses and with the prophets and the apostles and Christ Himself. What are we the greatly anointed ones who have no cross to bear? Or are we the silent ones? In our homes or in our jobs throughout the city who don't count it a privilege to endure the shame of man for the glory of God. So friends, we see the shame that's circulated Christ even in His infancy that began with Mary, that started with Moses and all the way through the people of God. Now we're going to be looking at the beauty of Christ coming. The beauty of Christ. We're going to be looking at His nature. Verse 18. Let me just read that. Verse 18. Uh, when His mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus or to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So here you have the seedlings, which is of one of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. What are the basic doctrines of the Christian faith? You have two natures, fully God, fully man, one person in Jesus Christ. One person, two natures. Our God, fully God, and fully man. And you see this throughout the rest of the Scripture. So you see it's fully God in Colossians 1. You see in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by Him all things created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. For in Him the fullness of God, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And you have in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Or you have Philippians 2, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but He'd emptied Himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. So he didn't empty his godliness. No, friends, he took upon the took this flesh upon his God, this nature of God. So you have fully, fully God and fully man. And as we see in Ephesians one, as we preached through several months ago, one of the most astounding verses I think in all of Scripture that in Him all things will be united. All things are going to be united in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. That only happens if Jesus is God. That only happens if He is God. But you also see He's fully man. We just read it. He was born. He, he grew in wisdom and stature in the favor of God and man. And He was weary. In John 4, when He goes to the well, He's weary. He's tired. And not surprisingly, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights in chapter 4 of Matthew, he's hungry. He's really hungry. You see, in John chapter 19, as he's up on the cross, I thirst. And we see not only these physical things, but these emotions as well as he's weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows where Lazarus is going to be throughout eternity, but there he is, weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. But why do you care, really? So it seems quite abstract. Fully God, fully man. That's something that uh, Wayne Gruden would argue about. So why do you care? Why is this worth your life and your soul? And to answer this, not surprisingly, we're going to go back to Genesis. Genesis 3. You have this promise that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And only He's going to redeem His people from their sins. That's this grand narrative. That's where the name redemption came from for our church. This is the work that God is about. This is what God is doing. Redeeming His people. And we know that it's only God can forgive sins. So we might offend our brother or sister, but it's ultimately to God that we have sinned. You see this with David in Psalm 51 where he cries out after his sin with Bathsheba. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So Jesus Christ, He must be fully God to redeem His people, to forgive them of their sins. But He must also be fully man. Hebrews 2, it says, Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make an atonement for the sins of his people. And later on, a couple chapters later in verse 9, or chapter 9, it says, For without the shedding of blood, 
There is no sins. So you have fully God to forgive sins, to live this perfect life, fully man to die the death that you should have died. Fully God and fully man. That's why it's not abstract, but that's why it's sweet and it's beautiful to God's people. So what do you do? You just delight. Delight in our Savior. Delight in our Christ. Nobody else can make this up. You have prophets who come to a cave and they point to someone else. Or you might have some impotent God who's one of millions of other gods. He's no good to you. Or in our infinite wisdom, we'll bow down to wood. Or if we're really fancy, we'll cover the wood with gold and we'll bow down to that. Fully God and fully man, we can't make this up. Yet Christ has come to redeem His people. So we've seen the, uh, the, the nature of His coming and the shame that surrounded Him and, and the, the nature of Christ, fully God and fully man. Now we're going to look on verses 20-21 through 21 and see the reason for Christ's coming. Let's go back to the text, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here you have Joseph, and uh, he's in quite a predicament, isn't he? Uh, things are going well. You're a carpenter and business isn't booming, but you have enough money to get yourself a bride. And that one you've always had your eye on, Mary. Finally, you got her. And things seem to be going really well until they're not. Then she's pregnant. And uh, impropriety is bad, but adultery is even worse. And not only that, she appears to be crazy. <laughs> right? So... And people will say, myself and our kids, you listen to your kids, they say the most outlandish thing to try to dodge some kind of responsibility. Here's Mary going, well, no, it was an angel came and talked to me, and it's from the Holy Spirit. Um, so it it's kind of makes sense why he might want to divorce her and go, oh, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. But into the midst of this confusion and this brokenness and this seemingly betrayal, the Word of God comes through an angel. And he, the Word of God comes and confirms that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that His name is to be Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. So this is the one that they've been awaiting for. This is the one that they've been longing for since they were promised that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. As they're in Egypt crying out, crying out, deliver us, deliver us, oh God. As they're in captivity in Babylon, they're crying out, deliver us, deliver us, oh God. But now, in the fullness of time, Christ has come. The One that they've longed for through centuries, crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. He has come. And not surprisingly, it wasn't as all as, as the people anticipated. They wanted a leader, but they got a lamb. They wanted a king, but they got a servant. They wanted someone who would follow the strict traditions, but what did he do? He broke the Sabbath. He hung out with tax collectors and hung out with prostitutes. 
So it wasn't the one that they expected, but here's the, the beauty of it all. It was much more than they could have anticipated, for he was coming not just to save them from their plight, of their captivity, but no, he was coming to save them from their sins. This is the story that we need. Friends, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We know that we stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. That's that's why we're afraid to Him. That's why some people were afraid to come to church. We're afraid to go and pray to God. We're afraid to come into this presence of God because we know that after we die, we're afraid to die. That those who practice such things that we see in Romans 1, those who practice such things deserve death. But praise be to God. We rehearse this every week. But friends, praise be to God. He does not leave us there. He, Christ has come down. He has sought His bride and He has won her. Fully God to live the life that we could not and fully man to live the death that we should have died. So then we no longer have to fear the consequences for sin. But we can rejoice that as the Heavenly Father looks down and sees His beloved Son, His only beloved Son, If you are in Christ, He looks down and sees you with that same love. If you are in Christ, if you trust Christ, if you believe in Christ, the Heavenly Father who is full of mercy and full of justice, full of love and full of wrath, doesn't see you as an object of wrath, but sees you in His beloved Son. So, Christ, people, come to Christ. Come to Him. Don't continue in the hardness of your hearts, but seek Him while He might be found. And turn to Him, and He will have mercy on you. So we see the shame of His coming and the nature of His coming. We see why He has come to save His people from their sins. Now we're going to be looking at this this prophecy of, of His coming as well. Verses 20 through 22, all the way down through the end there, 25. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Joseph woke from his sleep and did at this the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this quotes from Isaiah, and we're, for months, hopefully under a year, we're going to be going through the book of Matthew, and you're going to see these quotes all the time from the Psalms, from Isaiah, from Deuteronomy. And you want to always be asking yourself two things. Number one, what's going on in that context? So we're going to be looking at what's going on in Isaiah when, when this is originally spoken. Number two, how is this pointing towards Christ? How is this pointing towards Christ? Why would Matthew, why would he bother quoting Isaiah? He doesn't have to. He said what happened, it was true. Why bother quoting Isaiah? So we're going to be looking at what happened when Isaiah delivered this prophecy. So the kingdom is divided. You have the ten tribes in the north, the two in the south. And the northern kingdom has aligned itself, not with the southern two tribes, but with Aram. And them combining together in allegiance they're marching south. 
down towards Jerusalem. And they're going to lay siege to Jerusalem. So it's, it's not like World War I, over there, over there. No, 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 no. They're marching to you, to your homes. So in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this certain death, when they had lost all hope, they received this promise. And here's the promise. A virgin will give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. Really? Thanks. That helps me a lot. With troops marching towards me and my family, my crops are already gone, we have nothing to eat, and you've given me the hope of another one being born? And here's the beauty, my friends, of how, as we answer the second point, of how it all points towards Christ. So with Pekah and with Rezin marching towards them, with, with Israel, the northern tribes, and Aram marching towards them, their greatest problem was not the foot soldiers. Their greatest problem was not their lack of crops that had been devastated or the chariots that were driving towards their cities. No, the greatest problem even in that situation, was the sin within their hearts. And this is why Matthew makes it evident that true redemption that Israel has been longing for can only be found in Christ. Can only be found in Christ. So it is with you as well. Your true redemption can only be found in Christ. So praise be to God that He has come to redeem His people. And here you sit, and inevitably you're you're torn asunder as you ponder this week that's coming up. You contemplate how you and your spouse can make it through the week. How you're going to pay rent. And in the midst of that, behold, the virgin will give birth. As you see your children walking in rebellion, behold, the virgin will give birth. Or perhaps you long for children that you do not yet have, or you long for a wife or a husband that cannot yet be found. In the midst of that, behold, the virgin will give birth. So no matter the context, my friends, no matter the context, we all have the same problem. We all have the same problem. And it is only answered by who Christ is and what He has accomplished on the cross. That's our only hope. That's all that we have, my friends. So we see the shame of His coming. We see the nature of fully God and fully man. We see that He has come to redeem His people. And we see the prophecy of Him coming as well with Rezin of Aram and Pekah of Israel marching towards you. Or as you are in homes filled with broken relationships. Your answer, my friend, is always in Christ. Who else are you going to turn? He is the one who has the word of life. Who else? Where else are you going to go? So when you're rejoicing, turn to Christ. In your mourning, turn to Christ. In your sin, turn to Christ. That you may be found in Him. And that you may be redeemed by Him. Let us pray.
Father, we are humbled to be called your sons and be called your daughters. We don't deserve it. We, we love our sins so much more than we should. And we carry on or we think it's no big deal, but God, please convict us of that sin. That we would see the beauty of You coming to redeem Your people all the much more. God, please make that true to our lives. And as we go forth this week, may we delight in knowing that behold, the virgin shall conceive you have come. You are God with us. God, I pray that we would turn to You in, in the midst of our sorrow and our rejoicing, whatever our situation might be. God, I pray that we would turn to You and behold the beautiful Lamb who has come to take the sins of His people. Amen.